Judges chapter 11. Reading again today from that chapter. We've moved our attention now to verses 12 through 28. Judges 11, 12 through 28. Somewhat of a longer reading, but it is one complete record. And so we take it up. Verse 12. Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me? That thou art come against me to fight in my land. And the king of the children of Ammon answered under the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from Arnon even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands again peaceably. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon, but when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea, it came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he did not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon but came not within the border of Moab for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, the king of Ammonites, the king of Heshbon, Heshbon, and Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast. But Sihon gathered all his people together, and pitched in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coast of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok, Jabbok and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel, and why shouldest thou possess it? Wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever ever, whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them 
will we possess? And now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and the Aror, her towns, and in all the cities that be along by the coast of Arnon, 300 years? Why, therefore, did you not recover them within that time? Wherefore, I have not sinned against thee, but thou dost me wrong, doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit, the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. Turn with me, please, in your hymn book again. Hymn number 298. Would you please stand with me and sing 298. The complete title for today's message. 
my land, said Jephthah. My land, said Arnon. I mean, Ammon, I'm sorry. My land, said Ammon. Whose land is it? We come together again today around these verses in chapter 11, verse 12 through 28, in this record of Israel's judges. I have set before you already in these messages several times the context of this text. I'd simply remind you that Israel had experienced in chapter 10 a great and true revival. And on the heels of that revival, her enemies rose up, the Ammonites, and set themselves in war array against them. And in chapter 11, Israel is well and truly in a crisis. The king of Ammon has set his troops in battle array in verse 5. And war is imminent. And why? Why? For what purpose is this gathering? For what purpose is this intended war? Well, our text tells us clearly and I have reflected the answer to that question in my title. In verse 13, here's the answer. In verse 13, Ammon says, Because Israel took away my land. But Jephthah had said in verse 12, Thou hast come against me to fight in my land. So to what purpose is this great affair? To what may we ascribe the cause for this great crisis? In a single word, it is land. This is the never-ending battle of all of human history. The carnal thirst for dominion and power over land. The conquest of kingdoms. <clears throat> the conquest of kingdoms throughout the ages, may be reduced to this single thing, desire for the land. All of history's annals are swollen with the records of this unceasing strife and bloodletting for some or other piece of land. Oh, the devastating violence of men in all ages has poured down like 
in crashing torrents like the roaring waters of Niagara Falls in every age and in every clime for some or other piece of land. The greatest ongoing conflict of the modern age, as you well know, revolves around one small piece of land, Jerusalem. We need not to go back in the countless volumes of ancient history. To paint a canvas of this heart-rending reality. Only a cursory view of our own modern age will suffice us to demonstrate my point. Two world wars, only some 20 years apart, testify of this damning human addiction to the violent pursuit of lands. One battle alone in World War II will forever live in infamy to tell of the madness of this disease in the human race. June 6, 1944, D-Day. Normandy Beach. American troops, America's finest and strongest and promising young men sought to take a piece of land. Just a piece of land. Only six miles long. And at the end of the day, despite the best weaponry of modern warfare at the time when the day ended, 29,000 American sons were dead. 106,000 more were wounded and maimed for life. More than 23,000 Germans were killed and another 67,000 were wounded. Staggering numbers. Staggering numbers. And for what? Six miles of land. By the way, today it's a tourist attraction. Well, the sad and sick irony of that. People go there to enjoy themselves. Oh, you may well think after that report, well, surely we learn from that disaster the futility of buying land with blood. But no, no. Only five years later, 1950, Korea, 40,000 American killed for a piece of land we never even possessed. 
Only 15 years later, 1965, America entered the war with Vietnam. The record of one battle alone will forever stand in the blackened pages of human history because of man's obsession with claiming a piece of land. May the 20th, 1969, American troops stormed a small mountain in an impregnable jungle in that far-off place, Vietnam. And when the fighting ended 11 days later, 72 American boys were dead, 372 were wounded, 7 were missing, 630 Vietnamese were dead on a tiny spot on a map that will forever live in infamy, infamy under the name Hamburger Hill. And for what? For what? I tell you, it was for a piece of ground, 21 acres in size. Not six miles, just 21 acres. Hamburger Hill. piece of land. Oh, no wonder Norman Whitfield penned these words of his hit song in 1969. It was published, recorded, and sold under the label Motown label. Some of us who were there remember it well. Used to be on the radio constantly. It went straight to the top in the charts and stayed there for a very long time. He wrote a song called War. What is it good for? He said, War I despise because it means destruction of innocent lives. War means tears to thousands of mothers' eyes when their sons go out to fight and lose their lives. War, it ain't nothing but a heartbreaker. War, friend only to the undertaker. War is the enemy of all mankind. The thought of war blows my mind. What was he talking about? The war in Vietnam. We were trying to just take a piece of land. Surely we've learned by now then. But no. Even as we sit here today in this comfortable building, America is financing a war on a foreign soil and we've already spent over $75 billion of American taxpayer money. And for what? To hold a piece of land no bigger than the state of Texas, one which even if we win the war, we'll never own it. A piece of land. Oh, why have I carried you down this nauseating journey in history this morning? Just so as to prepare you to understand the remainder of the record in the verses of this chapter. Two men lay claim to the same piece of land. Jephthah said, why have you come to fight me on my land? 
And the king of Arnon said, Because it's my land. Luke would know a lot about land disputes. He could tell you some interesting and bizarre stories about land disputes. He's in the surveying business. Lives have been wrecked and blood's been shed in places over just a few feet, even a few inches of land. And that is the whole story of our chapter. Great are the lessons in this brief record. And that first lesson starts to be set out for us right here in verse 12. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? Jephthah, you know now by at this point, in my sermons, you know who this man is. You know where he's been. You know where he's come from. Jephthah being as he is well familiar with the fruits of violence and conquest. He seeks first some reasonable, and can I just break that word in half and emphasize some reasonable, reasonable some reasonable solution to this intended conflict. One commentator has called Jephthah here the model diplomatist. He sends out messengers to try to seek to reason with the king of Ammon. One commentator said the first element of peace, whether in private or in national controversies, whether in civil or religious disputes, the first element of peace is the genuine desire to be fair. When men have that spirit of justice that they do not desire to claim what is not their due, when their aim is to ascertain what is true and not to overbear the truth by force. When they strive for truth and not merely for victory, there is a fair possibility of both sides arriving at the same result and bringing in peace. The first step in any dispute, therefore, should be a calm and careful examination of the facts in the case. All this was worthwhile, even with a heathen adversary. It stated the case upon broad and intelligible grounds, and I read you the record this morning. It raised no irrelevant questions, but was, rec was conciliatory. There was no attempt at compromise. 
It is a moral gain when a point in dispute is thus clearly stated and dispassionately argued. It did not avert war, but it justified it. If war must come, then at least let it come on the heels of every honest attempt at reconciliation. <laughs> and yet again, oh, yet again, some of you have commented to me along the way of these messages how that you've never seen Jephthah as such a type of Christ. But here it is again. Here it is again. How clearly does our history of this man Jephthah set out his typology of our Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, if men must engage in war with God, if they must go to hell forever, if man must endure the everlasting wrath of Almighty God at last, if divine war must eternally be waged against the sinner's estate, it will be only after every pleading that reason can bring to bear. Only after every pleading that reason can bring to bear. Jephthah sent messengers, verse 12, to the king farmer. Ammon. Oh, I said if men must engage themselves. In war against God, if they must experience His everlasting wrath, if they must be damned, if they must engage in eternal war against God, and their estate be punished forever because of it, at least we can say from this gospel record, it'll only be after every pleading that reason can bring. Oh, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, you know it well. Come now. Come now. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Oh, in verse 20, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. But only after this pleading comes with you. Will you come? Will you reason with me? Will you come and be reasonable? Will you come and be reasonable? Oh, listen to the reasonableness of his pleadings. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. 
And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies. And the waters shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall be disannulled. Your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflow scur- overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. From that time that it goeth forth, it shall take you in the mo- for morning. By morning shall it pass over by day and by night, and it shall be a vexation only just to even understand the report. The bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it. The covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. Oh, the prophet is pouring out his heart to the people. Listen, he says, listen, listen. Let me use every metaphor I can find to describe to you what it's going to be like if God comes in judgment. But don't do that. Reason with him. Would you not be reasonable? Come and reason with me. All the pleadings. The pleadings of our God. All the pleadings of our Lord in trying to reason with Israel in his days of his earthly sojourn. You remember that? Over in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 34. Where before, behold, I send you I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias son of Barkas whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And then with the declaration of that sentence, he bursts out with these words in verse 37 of old Jerusalem. Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not. I've reasoned with you. I've sent you prophets. You've burned them and you've killed them and you've crucified them. Now I've come and I'm reasoning with you and I'm talking with you. How often when I've gathered you up, but you all the reasonings of our God. So many more I could turn to and show you how Jephthah here mirrors our Lord in all of his doings. Verse 12, Jephthah went, Jephthah sent messengers unto the king. (laughs) Oh, blessed Will Thompson wrote in 1880, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. 
Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing for you and for me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming. Coming for you and for me. Oh, said he, for the wonderful love he has promised. Promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. Pardon. For you and for me. Oh, can you hear the reasonable pleadings of Will Thompson in 1880? Surely he's made a reasonable case when he closes and says, Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. Jephthah sent messengers to try to avoid the war. Why would you force his hand? Sinner, this morning, why would you force his hand to do his strange work? Can't you see Jephthah sent messengers to try to avoid this work? Oh, he sent messengers not with an announcement of war, but with a reasonable question. Why art thou come against me to fight? But alas, the record here reveals what so often proves to be the case in matters of controversy. One party is not being honest with the fact but distorts the truth to justify their own designs. Verse 13, the king of the children of Ammon answered the messages of Jephthah because Israel took away my land, my land. Now that's just not true. Because the children of Israel, Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt. From Arnon even to Jadot and unto Jordan now therefore restore these lands again. One commentator has said, Jephthah here, pleads with this wicked idolater in a reasonable way and tries to bring a reasonable solution to an 
to an unreasonable demand. But alas, to no avail. But as this record will show, the calloused heart of this unbeliever, this rebel, this opposer of God, wills not to be moved by reason. Wills not to be moved by truth. Wills not to be moved by God himself. We read it. We read it already. In verse 37 of chapter 23 of Matthew, I just read it to you. How often would I have gathered their children and ye would not. And in the Greek, the emphasis is somewhat different. It literally says, ye willed to not. Oh, may I give a word to the believers here? Rogers said in 1615, even so, they who are obstinate shall meet with more shame by proceeding. But happy are the meek and the tractable who receive the wholesome words of exhortation and stop not their ears from good counsel, but submit themselves without respect thereto. Such shall deliver themselves from great evil. Such behavior doth better become professors of the gospel than willfulness and obstinance. Oh, obstinance is most becoming to a saint. Because in Psalm 110 and verse 3, we are those who have been made willing. Amen. Made willing. Obstinance is most unbecoming to a saint. So then the king of Ammon in all his bluster and blundering evil brandishes his sword from his sheath of lies and casts Jephthah's gracious intents back in his teeth. Verse 13. But just here. Just here. Most of us, had we been in Jephthah's shoes, would have recoiled at this insult. We would have swelled in anger and mounted our post for an immediate attack. We would have said, Enough with this fool. I've not come all the way from my place to countenance the insults of this idolatrous dog. I've crushed a many of this same breed, the Ammonites, and this one is no better. I'll hear no more of his lunatic ravings Mount up, let's ride. That's what most of us would have said. <laughs> oh yes, 
just such have too often been my response to the obstinate caviling of an impertinent unbeliever. But not so our Jephthah. Maybe, says he, just maybe, I can lay the case before him again and the good of all concerned will be benefited just maybe. Oh, I ask you this morning, can you read these words with me in verse 14 and restrain your shouts and Jephthah sent messengers again. And Jephthah sent messengers again to the king of Jordan. Oh, can I just express to you in our typology the infinite, inexplicable, unfathomable depths of God's patience with sin. Whatever this fool may think in the callous blackness of his pagan heart, Jephthah knows the cost of war. Jephthah knows the depth of the sorrow and the cost of the losses and the pain of the desolation. Oh, he desires with every fiber of his being to spare his family, his brethren, his nation, this horrible tragedy of war. Every effort must be made. Every option must be pursued. Every hope must be exhausted. Jephthah sent messengers again. Oh, I wonder if Jephthah here looks anything like us. I wonder if he looks anything like us. Oh, listen. Listen to the pleadings of Moses when God rose up in anger and vengeance to destroy Israel. Listen to the pleadings of Moses. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 9. And the Lord said, Moses, I've seen this people. Behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why did thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief he did bring them out and slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel thy servants to whom thou swearest thine own self 
and saith to them, I'll multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken, I will give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he sought to do unto his people. I don't care what cavillings of theological wranglings men will engage in on a text like that. I have no care for it. I just want to bow at his feet, worship him. Moses was pleading. Oh, gracious God, will you look at him again? Will you look at him again? Have mercy. Jephthah sent messengers again. Whoa, listen. Listen. To the Lord's pleadings by his prophet, through his prophet Ezekiel in chapter 33 and verse 7. So thou, son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, therefore thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak to the house of Israel. And thus speaks, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? And say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you hear the pleadings of the prophet? Turn, turn. Could I just send messengers again? I beg you again. Turn, please, please turn. Why would you do this? Oh, the pleadings of Jeremiah in chapter 14, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah according. Concerning the dearth, Judah mourneth, and the gates are languishing. They're blackened of the ground. The cry of it, Jerusalem is gone. Their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is checked. For there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed they covered their heads. O oh Lord, verse 7, our iniquities testify against us. Do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We've sinned against thee. Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof, in time of trouble, why shouldst thou be as a stranger in the land as a wayfarer man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? 
Thus saith the Lord, and people thus have they loved to wander. Verse 10, they have not refrained their feet. Therefore the Lord doth not accept them. Pray not for this people, but he did. But he did. Verse 13, oh Lord God. Behold the prophets. Give peace in this place. Pleading, pleading, pleading. Do you see why I said to you, can you read verse 14 in our text and not shout? Jephthah sent messengers again. Oh, the patience of our God. Did not our Lord do the same Himself in His flesh on this earth in John 17 in that sacred ground? Put off your shoes when you go there. That sacred chapter of intercession. John 17, verse 9, verse 13, 15, 17, 19 through 20 and 24. All of it. He's pleading and interceding. Father, I pray for them. 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 Jephthah knows. Jephthah knows. Like few could know. Jephthah knows what's going to come to pass if he can't intercede. If he can't accomplish this reconciliation. Jephthah knows what's going to happen. I ask you a simple question this morning. Don't we? Don't we know? Jephthah knows. And he will extinguish and exhaust every power of his to try to intercede and try to stop this. Don't we know? If we know, why don't we go again? And again, and again, and again. Why don't we go to the jail? Why don't we go to the nursing home? Why don't we go to our family members again and again and again? Don't we know what's going to happen? I've said to my wife a number of times, not particularly any person, comes to mind but different people in their relationship with their family I've said to my wife a number of times if God would pull back the curtain and let them look into hell for five seconds it'd change their whole relationship with their family members Jephthah knew what was fixing to happen. Verse 14, he sent messengers again to try to avoid it. 
he laid the case before them. Well, what is his case? God willing, next week we'll see. If we know, if we know, like Jephthah knew, why don't we go again? Again and again. Stand with me, please. Sing with me hymn number 297.